You don't have to do this to impress me. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. All right, folks, let's talk seminars. Kickoff 2021 will be in Wichita Falls on February 5th through the 7th. And then the next seminar after that will be April 16th through the 18th in Wichita Falls. For lifting camps coming up, we have our self-sufficient lifter camp on January 9th in Wichita Falls that covers the squat, the press, and the deadlift, how to film your lifts, and how to diagnose your own technique. For squat-only camps coming up, December 5th in Moodis, Connecticut at Anino Strength and Conditioning. For squat and deadlift camps on the list, November 21st in Omaha at Testify Strength and Conditioning. And then our three-lift camp covering the squat, the bench, and the deadlift at 5x3 in Baltimore on November 22nd. Our next coaching development camp on the list will be November 22nd as well in Orlando covering the squat and the deadlift. For meets coming up, December 6th will be in Baltimore for a partner meet covering four lifts. And Testify Strength and Conditioning in Omaha is just going buck wild with these USA weightlifting meets. We'll have one on December 5th, one on March 13th, April 10th, and May 8th. And then they're going to have their strongman meet on June 26th. Starting Strength gyms are full steam ahead and we continue to add cities to the list. Cincinnati is the latest city to be added. You can come and work out at a starting strength gym and get coaching for less than 30 bucks a session. For more information about locations or to request a location, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. It's uh, Thursday. <laughs> no, no, it's not Thursday. It's it's Friday. Friday's the day for Starting Strength Radio. So if you're hearing us for the first time, it's Friday. Now, actually, it is Thursday. We're filming this on the Thursday. Filming this the Thursday after the election. In fact, it's November the 5th that we're filming this. You won't see this for about a week. God knows what will have happened in the period of time between right now and when you're actually seeing this. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about this today, but uh, this is the most fucked up thing that's happened in the politics of the United States uh, since the inception of the country. And I don't know what to do here. The only thing that you and I as individuals can do is take care of our own day. It's all we can do. Uh, these people are trying to take the republic away from us. They're trying to show us that they're in charge and we just live here. They may get it done, too. We'll just have to see. We'll just have to see who has the balls. But this is an occasion that calls for, calls for some balls, and I'm not optimistic. Since we're all wearing masks, right? We've just shown everybody what kind of balls we've got. And, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know. These are, these are dark days. But uh, you guys are equipped for this. You know how to do hard things. You know how to finish the fifth rep. That is a skill that could be very valuable very soon. So just keep that in mind. Now, we don't have any comments from the, from haters, the haters today. You know why? Because fuck those people. I've always wanted to tell them that. I think you you've know. told them that once or twice. Maybe. Maybe in a roundabout way. Could be in a roundabout way. I've told them that once or twice. 
But just to put a fine point on it, fuck all of you people. <laughs> I think you're qualified to tell me what my background is and all this other shit. That's pretty funny. You don't even know what color I am. This is not pink. I think I'm more magenta. This is really what I look like right now. And then the picture that you normally have of me that where I'm pink is post-production. That's actually post. That's actually post. Yeah. Right. You know, I had a little article out recently about, uh, how starting strength, the little method we've developed is different than everything else. And I thought, well, you know, today we would just discuss this, discuss the, uh, the origin of the method and this sort of thing with you. Uh, and I'll just remember as much of this as I can. Uh, but see, the tendency is when you see a finished product, you see a nice, tight, well-organized finished product. Your assumption is that the process by which this nice, tight, organized finished product uh, came about was in itself nice and tight and organized. And very few things are like that at all. In this particular instance, the starting strength method was the, was the, is the result of my 43 years, uh, under the bar. I started training with weights when I was in college. I was probably 20. And, uh, yeah, I was probably 20. I'm 64 now, so that's been about 44 years ago. I started out at uh, Midwestern where I was going to school. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd gotten in a fight and it didn't go the way I wanted it to. And young men are, you know, young men are motivated by loss, you know, things like that. So I decided, eh, I better go ahead and. Start working out a little bit. I had absolutely no idea what the hell to do. None. I didn't know what the machines were in the room. I didn't know what the bars were for. I didn't know anything at all about it. The Midwestern weight room had a few little simple things. Had an old universal gladiator, if you've ever seen one of those four-station universal machines. And it had an old... Very, one of the old narrow gauge wall mounted York power racks in the other room. Those were made out of pipe. There's two uprights and little bitty narrow gauge pins. Oh, there wasn't six inches between those uprights. Uh, and we squatted off of that. And, uh, you know, just wandered up there the first day. Had no idea what to do. I just sat down and amused myself on a few of the machines and just operated some things, you know, put some weight on and threw it around and stuff. Kind of like you do right now, you know. Kind of like you do at Gold's Gym right now, you know. I was just fucking around, you know, exercising. I was taking some exercise. And I certainly as hell did not know what to do i didn't have anybody to show me what to do now I, later on i ran into a guy up there uh it was a professor at school up there and uh he didn't know any more about it than i did but he you know had to behave as though he did because that's just what professors do and so uh we were doing stupid shit you know we were doing stupid shit doing half squats and I think we did some deadlifts. You know, I had no idea about any aspect of the right way to do any of these things. Did not even have an idea that there was a right and wrong way to do this. Kind of like you right now. And, uh, and it, you know, it's just like, yeah, I see on the internet all the time. There are as many ways to squat as there are, as there are people doing the squat right now. Now that's the 
Grains of sand. Grains of sand on the beach. There's many ways to squat. Well, that's what I thought back then. This would have been uh, probably 1970. Oh, what would that have been? 76, 77, somewhere in there. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a, just kind of a mess, but I felt just, you know, I was frustrated. I needed to do something. So I was in there messing around in the, in the weight room. I've been on the second floor of the Coliseum at Midwestern. That's where I started. And, uh, we had a YMCA downtown and, uh, we would occasionally go down there just for the change of pace. Didn't know anything more about it down there than we did it at Midwestern, but we tried real hard and we were real serious and we eventually kind of fell into a sort of a program that involved squats and benches and deadlifts. And, uh, if I remember correctly, I competed in the intramural weightlifting contest at Midwestern in the spring of 1970. I bet that was 78. I bet that was 1978. And uh, at that point, I'd have been 21 or 22. And uh, I remember doing that. In fact, I ran into that trophy. I still got that trophy. Got that out at my house. Ran into that the other day. All those years ago. It was a powerlifting deal. We did the squat, the bench, the deadlift, but the people running it didn't know that. And yeah, it was just the whole thing was just a amazing. In retrospect, it was it was really quite a <laughs> really quite a deal. But it was fun, and we had you know it gave us a little all of us kids that were up there in the weight room kind of a little competitive outlet. It was it was fine. You know, but uh, we had no idea that there was uh, an actual way to do this. And uh, it was uh, it was the next year. It was in 79 when I ran into Bill Starr up there in the in the in the weight room at Midwestern. Uh, we had had a tornado in Wichita Falls. Some of you. I've heard of this. It was the first F5 tornado that ever been recorded because they, you know, obviously wasn't the first one that ever occurred, but it's the first one that Deborah actually assigned a, uh, a score to. And, uh, it was a big giant event. That tornado was a quarter of a mile across on the ground and it just eradicated about a fourth of the buildings in town scraped them off of the dirt. And it was a big giant event. And, uh, Bill's daughter had been in the tornado and had gotten hurt real bad. And he was in town taking care of her. So this would have been about May a tornado was in April. So I ran into him at the weight room at Midwestern in May. And, you know, he offered to teach me some stuff. And uh, and I kind of got my squats below parallel and uh, started doing some things more correctly after that. And uh, he and I got to be good friends. And we were friends up until he died four or five years ago. And... Uh, I considered him my mentor. I didn't know what the word meant at the time, but uh, that's what you would call it now, now that we have all these new vocabulary words here in 2020. And uh, uh, I think that probably I went to my first actual powerlifting meet. It was probably late in 1978. It was in Houston. And I drove down to Houston for this inter-powerlifting meet, drove down to Houston, competed in the meet, learned all kinds of things, competed in another one in 1979. 
and uh, I might have lifted in two meets in 1979. Then, uh, and I was a I was going to school at Midwestern. I was majoring in geology, and uh, and uh, had taken some courses in anthropology. And I was just kind of just basically fucking around out there, and uh, you know, didn't really. Yeah, I had had probably had some idea that I would be in petroleum geology because at the time I did not know how hard the field of petroleum geology was to work in because the, the oil business is an unforgiving market. It's boom, bust, boom, bust. During the booms, geologists get hired. During the busts, geologists sell cars. And I didn't know anything about selling cars. And uh, I moved to Colorado in... Uh, it would have been in April of 1980. I moved to Colorado. And I was in Colorado a couple of years and uh, worked up there for a, for a guy that I, in fact, just got off the phone with here a minute ago, amazingly enough. And uh, kind of got some miles under my feet and decided to move back to town in uh, 81 in the fall of 81 so i started back to school in the fall of 81 with the eye with the intent of finishing my degree which i finished in 1983 but i had had not really decided at that point that i was going to do this for a living what we what i what you know that i i do now uh i'd had a job in a health club in Canyon City while I was in Colorado. Uh, spent really most of that was a couple of months. I spent most of most of my time in Colorado horseback. And uh, when I came back, I I came back with some uh, horse business experience and kind of messed around with that for many many years thereafter. But I decided I was going to finish the the degree. Got through with school in 1983, and the bottom fell out of the oil market. Uh, the uh, price of oil went from $37 a barrel, which 40 years ago was a lot of money. It was a very hot, heated up market, and everybody was making a whole bunch of money. It dropped down to like $3. Some insane thing like that. There was a glut in the market, and this was, was with conventional production. Before fracking, there was a glut in the market because the world's population at that time was not nearly what it is now, and uh, they had actually managed to figure out a way to overproduce oil. So that potential for a career dried up immediately. Now, I was training here in Wichita Falls, and uh, you know, I was trained pretty seriously. This is... Uh, back uh, when I was a competitive lifter and I'd been in lots of meets by that point and uh, was very, very serious about, about my training. And then in April of 1984, I got the opportunity to buy the gym and it was Anderson's gym. David Anderson owned it at the time and I bought the gym from him and opened it as Wichita Falls Athletic Club on April Fool's Day, <laughs> 1984. And uh, I was, at the time, working at a yard business. I was mowing yards. I was making decent money mowing yards. Had a little truck, went around town, had... 15 or 20 yard accounts. I made pretty good money. I, my overhead was low. And, uh, I, uh, I was, uh, interested in my training. So I thought at the time, well, all right, let's just buy the gym. And I'll just, I'll just work the gym in with my yard business. And, uh, I, uh, I got, uh, in fact, I got my first member the day I opened the gym. First member 
came in that first day. Second member came in the second day. That second member was our friend Mike Morrison, who still trains with us to this day. And, uh, uh, you know, we just showed people. I, what I knew how to do was powerlifting, all right? And the gym was a black iron gym. It was a barbell gym. There was a few machines. But by and large, it was, it was primarily barbell. So I started off in the gym business teaching people how to do free weight barbell exercise. That's what that from the first day that I worked my own gym, I was showing people how to do the movements. Now, I didn't know how to show them how to do the movements, but that didn't keep me from showing them anyway. And you know the type, don't you? You know the type, the personal trainer at Gold's that thinks he knows all about how to show you how to squat and you end up about eight inches above parallel with your chin looking up at the ceiling and stuff. I don't remember how I showed people how to do those movements back then, probably because I have purged it from my memory just out of embarrassment. But I'm not a stupid person. I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I'm not stupid. And one thing about people who are of, you know, more than average intelligence is that they learn from their mistakes quite readily. And that's what I did. Every time I showed somebody how to squat, how to deadlift, how to bench press, and it wasn't until later that I started using the press. But every time I showed them one of the basic barbell exercises, I took note of what part of the explanation made sense. I compared it to my own movements in the squat, and it took quite a while, even under those circumstances, to develop a way to teach these exercises. And at the time, I had some machines in the in the gym, and I thought, well, hell, I've got them. I've got to use them. So I would put leg extensions and leg curls into the into the programming because I mean I bought them. Here they are. I got to get some use out of the damn things. And over the years, they got less and less use. And uh, you know, people coming in doing their own workouts and throw them in. But I've got to the point where the last ten years that I owned those machines in the gym, I didn't use them in my programming at all. I had realized over time, over training hundreds and hundreds of people on these movement patterns that you keep the things that work and you get rid of the things that don't work. Rip, during this, uh, during this time, were you uh, teaching a high bar squat? Probably. Yeah. Probably. I probably was, uh, because I, I didn't know any better. I have since learned better. And during the process of teaching more and more and more people how to squat, I finally realized that you've got to use your hips, that you've got to drive with your hips out of the bottom of the squat. Furthermore, that everybody that squats heavy does it that way. And that if you're going to drive your hips up out of the bottom, you've got to put the bar lower than on the top of your traps. It just dawned on me one day that this is where it goes. There's a shelf back there. That's what I called it even at the time. Put it on the shelf, the posterior delts. That happened fairly early. But I didn't realize the significance of it till later. I just knew that it, was, it felt better back there and everybody was stronger with the bar in that position. Uh, but... In the course of, of setting up these programs, and everybody that came in the door, I taught how to train. Everybody that was a member that did not specifically tell me they wanted to do it their own way, and at that time I'd let them do that. But, but everybody else got taught how to squat, bench press, and deadlift. And again, I started using the press much later. Uh, I've had a lot of experience teaching people how to squat. I don't know anybody that's had more experience than I have 
in teaching the squat. I don't know that there's another coach on earth that's had more experience at teaching people how to squat than I have, just because of the sheer numbers of people I have dealt with, both in the gym and its seminars over the past 15 years. Uh, but at the time uh, that I was developing the way we, we did our, our barbell programs in the gym business, uh, one of the things that motivated me as a you know, fledgling businessman was client retention. And I thought, you know, I've got to, I have a product here, you know, and I still hadn't figured out all the nuances and all the things that I know about it now, but I did know that there was, um, that the best way to, to handle membership was to provide value with the membership, not to bullshit, but to actually provide value. And the bet, the way I figured out how to demonstrate value was the numbers. So I started getting these little composition notebooks. You've seen them. They got kind of a modeled cover and you, you get them for classes in college and you keep a semester's worth of notes and the thing. And it's ruled paper, you know, and they're like a quarter a piece or whatever the hell they were at the time. You get them on sale for a quarter. So I'd buy a bunch of them. And every time somebody joined the gym, I would make them up a book. And I'd write down the, the basic program, the list of the exercises, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, on on the first page and then I would turn over to the second page and then I'd start keeping a day's log. And what I would do is put today's date at the top of the paper and I would just make a narrow column of the day's exercises, squat, bench press, deadlift, lat pull downs, triceps, barbell curls, whatever I was going to have them do. And I'd write all these things down in a column and we'd always start with the squat then we'd always move to a pressing movement, and then we would pull, and then any of the assistance exercises we were going to do, we did last. So I've recorded all of those exercises in a column in the order in which they were executed with the, the weights and reps, every set, every rep, all the weights written down in this column. And I could get five days on each page. So over the course of two pages that you had open in front of you on the table, you would see 10 workouts. And at the end of 10 workouts, you could run across because the squats are all in the same position on the page. The bench press is all in the same position. The deadlifts and power cleans are all in the same position on the page. And you could see those numbers go up. And what I did was every time a new member came in, we'd go up 10 pounds in the squat for the first three or four workouts. And then we'd go to five pounds in the squat because I was interested in showing the member that this process over 10 workouts has made you stronger. How are you stronger? Cause the number's bigger and that bigger number helps with client retention because people want to see that they're not wasting their time and their money. All right. And at the time, these, these are not personal training clients. These are just gym members. When you joined my gym at the time, I'd work with you three or four times every time you came in. And then I'd, I'm there to supervise and make sure you're squatting below parallel and doing everything you're supposed to be doing. Not while not working with you, as a, as a personal training client. I didn't just start doing personal training till much later. So you're saying that things haven't changed too much. That's exactly right. Yeah. I kind of do the same thing now. And, uh, except that now I don't have any personal training clients at all. And, uh, but I had, you know, I had, a, had a lot of clients there after a while I'd started taking on personal training clients. And, uh, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, you learn a lot from these people. Personal training clients and gym members are typically two different groups of people. Personal training clients need you more 
than the gym members do. You know, you, you, you teach the gym members what to do, and then you just kind of give them some pointers every once in a while and keep them on track, and they're fine by themselves. But the personal training clients typically hire you because they don't want to learn about this. They just want you to do it for them because they got other shit to do. And I understand that completely. I've trained a lot of doctors. They're just busy, and they don't have time to learn my job. So I did it for them, and they paid me. And uh, I think most everybody in this business finds that that's the case even now. And uh, the net effect of this whole thing was that I taught a hell of a bunch of people how to squat. And I taught a lot of people how to squat while not knowing how to teach them how to squat. Now, by that, I mean, I know I knew at the time what I wanted their squat to look like, but I didn't know why. I knew what it should look like. I knew what their deadlift should look like, but I didn't know why it should look that way. The same thing on the bench press. I knew what to look for, but I didn't know how to explain what I wanted to look for. Now I know how to explain all of that because I've had to learn how to do it because when we decided that we were going to publish this book back in 2004 when I started writing it, I had to start thinking more about why instead of what. I already knew what. I knew what a deadlift needed to look like. But the process of going from writing the first edition in 2004 to to last week has been one of refinement and reconsideration and reanalysis and and uh, perfection and uh, learning how to explain things more concisely, learning which explanations made mathematical sense and which didn't, learning the physics, learning the mechanics. I had had a background in in, in the sciences, but I didn't, you know, understand how the concept of a moment arm applied to all this shit until I had to start thinking about it myself. And we, we had to, we had to, we had to finalize all of that because I've never heard our moment model of barbell training explained anywhere except us. We originated that. That was our baby. And, uh, you know, I'd had a lot of very, very smart people help me out with this. Lots and lots of smart people, people I've trained with, Steph, who's smarter than anybody else I know. And, uh, you know, people in the sciences, people in, in mechanics, physicists, engineers, lots of engineering input into this, where people that use mechanics on a daily basis reviewed our explanations and said, yeah, this part of it is right, but you need to consider this over here. And I said, oh, yeah, you're right. That does make more sense as an explanation for why we're doing it like this. And uh, like the alignment model of the deadlift, I had absolutely no idea about that when I bought the gym. Had absolutely no idea about that up until the late 2000s when I had to have an answer for why we deadlift over the middle of the foot and why the hips are high. I had to, had to come up with an answer about it because I can't say do it like this and then explain like this by saying, well, this is the way we do it because that's, that's dumb. That's low level. Do it this because this is the way we do it. It's not ever an answer to an honest question about why. This is the way we do it. it means you haven't thought about it. That's all that means is you don't you have not spent the time to think about what it is you're trying to explain. And I couldn't be put in that position. So we uh, we went through and and with the the, the the idea to write the book, the first edition of Starting Strength, was the organization of a bunch of stuff that I had already known, but that I had not articulated in a way that was a, that was 
concise. And the first book, in fact, was a complete fucking mess. I can't even stand to read it anymore because it was it. It's just by today's standards, it was sloppy and unprofessional, and it was just you know. But it did have the saving grace of having never been attempted before, and it was the only book of its kind in print, just like the blue book is now. The first edition of Starting Strength was the first attempt anyone had ever made to thoroughly explain how to do a squat. All the other books that have been in print about the squat take about two pages, and basically they say, well, you put the bar on your back, and you squat down, and you stand back up. And I'm sorry, that's inadequate because that's not what you do. And Starting Strength was an attempt to flesh out the idea that barbell exercise requires a bunch of thought. I'm continually uh, amazed when I start people out that haven't ever done this before. And after they've been training a couple of months, they they always say, you know, this really requires a, a whole lot more paying attention to what I'm doing than I thought it did. And yes, yes, it does. You are squatting down and standing back up with a barbell on your back with a lot of weight. Now, you can fall down. Right? You can fall down and that'd be bad, but you didn't fall down. What did you do to not fall down? Not only what did you do to not fall down, what did you do to control the barbell on the way down and on the way back up? What made it easier? What would make it harder? All of these things have to be thought about, and it's a it's an extremely uh, intensive activity to do to control every aspect of your body's movement weighted with a barbell through space there's a whole bunch of concentration and focus that's required from barbell training that is not required of you riding the treadmill while you watch tv or waving your legs around in the air doing on you know sitting on the leg extension machine barbell exercise is a uh, a very, um, it's very demanding in terms of your ability to perceive what every aspect, all the pieces of your skeletal anatomy are doing at any one time. We are training movement patterns. See, and, and this is something that I didn't really understand until much later. Uh, I started off back long, long time ago reading the bodybuilding magazines, just like everybody did back in the 80s. I started off reading the bodybuilding magazines, so I thought in terms of quads and delts and hamstrings and calves and pecs and abs and lats and traps. And it took me till till quite a bit later to realize that that's not what strength training is about. Strength training is, is not about body parts. Strength training is about movement patterns. The squat, the press, the bench press, and the deadlift, and the Olympic lifts are movement patterns that we load with a barbell. I don't care what muscle groups are involved in those exercises. Because I know that doing all of those exercises together works the entire body. Nothing is left out because the movement patterns involve all of the skeletal kinetic chain. And if the movement patterns involve all the skeletal kinetic chain, then all of the muscle mass that moves all of the skeletal kinetic chain is loaded. And if we progressively load it, we get it stronger and stronger, then all of that muscle mass gets stronger and stronger too. And I don't have to know what my gemellus inferior is doing during a squat. I just know that it's doing whatever its anatomical job is. 
because I'm making it do that with the technique that we have developed for squatting. So it wasn't until much later that um, the idea that what we're doing in starting strength is completely different than everyone else's concept of strength training. It wasn't until later that that, that, I, that idea crystallized. We are doing movement patterns. We're loading movement patterns. But when I first started off, I didn't think that way. I felt like you do. I thought just like you do. When I squat, I'm doing quads. There is so much more to the squat than quads. It's just absolutely fascinating that a person could still think that squats are about quads. I don't know how you leave out all of the important things that we're actually doing under the bar by thinking about your quads. I, it's, it's bizarre to me. You're squatting down and standing back up. Your entire skeleton is in movement. The whole thing's in motion. And you're worried about your quads. I mean, that's, you know, it, but look, it took me a while to get here too. So I understand. But you've got to get past that idea. Now, how did I get past that idea? I wrote the book. I wrote the book. I had to, when you sit down to write a chapter of a book, <clears throat> what, what happens is you begin to just organize your thoughts as you type. And... And, and some of you that are authors may do it a different way, but what I found to be the case is is that I will write a sentence and then I'll flesh that sentence out into a paragraph and then I'll reread the paragraph and I'll say, you know, there's a better way to say that and I'll retype a couple of the sentences and then it'll dawn on me that, you know, I'm really... That's not really what I'm trying to say, but let me change this. And Oh yeah, now that's exactly right. And I've taught myself something. I've taught myself something. Authors, I think those of you that have written, especially nonfiction writers will all agree that you learn from writing because the writing of the paragraph makes you organize the thoughts you have that started the paragraph off. And as you write it, it changes and it improves. And finally, little things begin to crystallize that are obvious now that you've thought about it. And that really sums up the process that I went through from opening the gym in 1984 to where we are right now. It was a, it was a crystallization process. All these ideas are floating around out there. Individually, they're all right. They're all correct one way or another. I may not see the pattern. I didn't see the pattern at the time. But having played around with all of these little nuggets of, of uh, mineral clarity, over the years, they organized themselves into this crystalline structure that we refer to as starting strength. And it took time. It took years and years. It took hundreds of thousands of hours, if that's even possible, on the platform with different people trying to do the same movement pattern, me trying to figure out a way to explain what I wanted them to do and how to get them to do it the way I wanted them to do it. And then later, much later as it turns out, the why I want to get them to do it this way organized itself out of, the, out of this giant mess of things that were, were correct but weren't organized at that level. And as a result, uh, the program is what you see now. Starting strength is, 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 is composed of two basic 
ideas. One is the idea that there are optimal ways to acquire strength and that the optimal way to acquire strength is always with a barbell. Uh, the, the movements that the barbell permits are movements that are perfectly natural to the human body, movements you're already doing. You're squatting down and standing back up. You're picking things up off of the floor. You're pushing things up over your head. You're pushing things away from you. And with the, the power clean and power snatch, you're throwing things up and catching them. Right? These are all perfectly natural movement patterns you're already doing. All we're doing is loading them with a barbell that allows you to do the movement pattern in an efficient, safe way that can be increased in load and therefore your strength increased. In, during the course of exploring the use of this method, what we've determined over time is that for the first six or eight months of your training, if you don't come into the gym and do anything except squat, press, bench press, deadlift, and power clean, you're going to get stronger if you go up every time. And that triceps and abs, sit-ups, back extensions, barbell curls, wrist curls, knee extensions, leg curls, all of the stuff that constitutes the typical floor of a commercial gym, all of that shit is not necessary because those are the movement patterns you can't make go up for six or eight months every workout. You cannot increase your barbell curl every time you come in the gym for six to eight months. But you can increase your deadlift. So what you're going to do is worry about your deadlift and leave barbell curls till later. Right? You can't go up on the pec deck machine every time you come in the gym. And if you try to go up on the pec deck machine, what's going to happen is your bench press is going to suffer because your bench press can go up every time you come to the gym. What is a pec deck machine? Pec deck. You never seen a pec deck? Never heard of it. That's where you sit in the machine and go like this. I call I called that the hugging machine. The huggy machine? Yeah, because it makes you really like <clears throat> giving hugs. Well, it's kind of the it's kind of like the the you know the adductor abductor machine for your that's the yes no yes, machine. No. Yes, no. Yes, no. Right. Those things can't go up every workout. And if they can't go up every workout, you don't need to do them. Because time is money. All right. If everything else in your barbell training program is going up every workout, then all of that other shit is getting strong too without you having to do it. And making time in the workout to do stuff like that is expensive. It's expensive in terms of the amount of time you, you, you have available for the rest of the shit you're trying to get done. Not everybody is a 20-year-old college kid in the weight room at Midwestern with nothing else much to do. You know, most of us are adults. Most of us have responsibilities. Most of us can carve out an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, for our training three days a week. But if you drag that out into a three-hour workout by adding a bunch of unnecessary assistance exercises to it that don't actually make you stronger because you can't make the load on those exercises go up every time you train like you can the major barbell exercises, then you're doing things that are wasting your time. After you've been training two or three years, and your progress is slowed down like it inevitably will. Then you can do all that stuff you want. And you'll have a better feel by then about how much how much of it to do and how much time to devote to it. I don't have a problem with a guy doing barbell curls. It's fine. You know, if you want big arms. And big arms are useful, not just nice looking. Barbell curls are the best way to get them. But you don't need to do that 
the first six to eight months of your training because your arms are going to get big anyway because you're squatting and deadlifting and pressing and bench pressing and doing power cleans. Your arms are going to grow anyway. Now, if you don't understand that, it's because you haven't done it. This is not my opinion. Your arms are going to get bigger whether you train them directly or not because of the other things you're doing. Your arms are going to grow. I know this and you don't. If I were you, I would listen to me, okay? Because the first six to eight months of anybody's training is the most productive time in your training history. More changes to your body will occur in that initial six to eight month period if it's taken seriously and if it's done correctly than any other time in your life. That's when you go from a 185 pound deadlift to a 405 deadlift. That's when your squat goes from 135 to 365. That's when your bench press goes from 155 to 300. That's when your press goes from 95 to 185. These are all big, giant, profound increases in strength, and they're big increases in muscle mass. This is when you start to look different. This is the period of time that if you do it correctly, is going to make the greatest amount of difference in both your strength level and your physical appearance than any other time in your training career. If you'll take it seriously. Now, taking it seriously brings us to point number two of starting strength. The first part was how to do the exercises and why. Which exercises, how to execute them. It's all in the book. Part two is how to program. And what we decided a long, long time ago was that this idea I had of the 10 workouts displayed in the training log was showing us something very important about human physical adaptation. Because back then, the dogma, and it was dogma, and it's still dogma when it's repeated mindlessly, is that the first six months of your training, you don't grow any muscle mass. You just make more efficient the muscle that's already there. The only person that could possibly say that with a straight face is someone who has never had a personal training client do squats, presses, bench presses, and deadlifts for six months. One of my favorite things is um, the you need to get rid of the imbalances first. Get rid of the imbalances. Imbalances. You know what gets rid of imbalances? What's that? Getting your squat up to 405 yeah. gets rid of imbalances. Getting your perfectly executed, balanced squat up to 405 hunts down and murders imbalances, and nothing else does. Right? But this is all the dogma. And what we have done is completely blow past that because what we always see is when a, when a young man comes into the gym, 18-year-old kid comes into the gym, he's 5'11", he's 155. Every single time if this kid does what we tell him to do, at the end of six months, you know that period of time where you don't grow anything, you just get real efficient somehow, He's gained 30, 35 pounds of body weight, 27 or 8 pounds of which is muscle mass. We, it's, this is normal. This is what we see. This is just what happens. I don't care what you learned in ex-phys in college because in college you learn lots and lots of things that are bullshit. All right? I hate to break the news to you. Those of you that have been in college know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because this is a classic example of ex-phys bullshit. Exercise physiology. Intro to exercise physiology. It's what they tell you. Oh, first six months of a strength training program, you just improve neuromuscular efficiency. And it's only till after that period of time that muscle mass starts to accumulate. All right, let me ask you a question. 
if I load you with a deadlift and I have you, I have you come in, I teach you how to do the deadlift. And the first time you go through the deadlift movement and you end up at 185 for a set of five. And then the next time you come to the gym, you go to 195 and then 205 and then 215 and then 225 and then 235 and 245, and then we have to start slowing down to five-pound jumps, and then 250, and then 255, 260, 265. What about that stress does not require both an efficiency adaptation and hypertrophy? How do you separate the stress into an efficiency stress and a hypertrophy stress? Guess what? You can't. And guess what you also didn't learn in ex-phys class? You didn't learn about the stress recovery adaptation phenomenon, which is responsible for what happens to you during a strength training program. You didn't learn about that in ex-phys class, did you? And as a result, things are not being explained correctly. All right. You start growing immediately on a strength training program. And the only way to not grow is to not eat enough. Right. And, you know, if you're laboring under the delusion that you don't need to provide enough caloric surplus and enough protein intake to produce hypertrophy, then I guess you're not going to get bigger. That's your fault, not mine. All right. You begin to get bigger immediately. This is just one of the things that doing it the way we have done it has taught us that is directly contrary to the conventional wisdom that is emitted from ex-phys class. It's, it's just absolutely wrong. And, that's the kind of thing that you learn having done this for 44 years or three or two. What did I say it was? I can't remember. I'm 64. I started when I was 20. Let's say 44 years. I can't keep track. <clears throat> That's a lot of years to remember. If I forget one of them, it's no big deal. I have a hard time remembering last year. So. I do too. Yeah. I do too. Just They all fly by so fast right now. As you get older, a year isn't as important as it used to be. But this year is never ending. In this year eternity. will never go away, will it? It's, it's, it's just, just dragging on and What if on we're in on. hell right now? What if that's the deal? We could be in hell, right? This could be the Matrix. January 1st. And we're in the hell version of Matrix. January 1st, Matrix. we're going to look at the calendar. It's still going to be 2020. It's going to reset. <laughs> it's just reset resetting it. Over and over and over. 2020, the rest of the rest of time. Anyway, so this is the idea that the programming has to drive the stress adaptation, the stress recovery adaptation cycle is the other piece of starting strength that we developed ourselves that didn't come out of anybody else's ideas. That first six to eight months where you every workout, you can come in and add weight to the bar. We call that the novice linear progression. It's not exactly linear, but everybody likes to say that, so we just call it the novice linear progression. Or NLP, as it has been dubbed on the Internet. The novice linear progression is the period of time during which I can show that training book to the kid and make his numbers on the squat go up every time he comes in the gym. This is a very important time because that's motivational. Now, that doesn't last forever or we'd all be squatting 7,500 pounds. You reach the point of diminishing returns. And the principle of diminishing returns is that graph you saw back in analytical geometry where the thing starts off at a steep slope, slope, goes horizontal and finally planes out as it approaches a limit. That the, the, the limit function is what you're seeing in strength training and everything else in nature. It, it's a common phenomenon, and 
if you don't understand how it works, you're going to fuck your training up. All right. At first, the slope of the line is very steep. And this is when you take advantage of coming in every day to the gym and adding weight to the bar on every one of the exercises you're going to do. Every day is a PR. Later, that will slow down because the stronger you are, the harder it's going to be to get even more strong. <laughs> kind of like the better a piano player you are, the harder it is to get to be better. You know, things slow down as things accumulate, as the things at the base of a curve accumulate the slope of the curve goes horizontal, and this is observed all over nature. This means that after the novice linear progression takes place, you're going to be in a period of training that we refer to as the intermediate. Intermediate is when, for convenience, we tend to try to have you go up once a week instead of once every workout. Right? And then that period of time will last for anywhere from one to three years, depending on how diligent you are about controlling your programming. And then at some point, you're only going to be able to make PRs once a month, once every two months, maybe once, twice a year, depending on how advanced you are. And that's the advanced period. And once again, here's the slope of the line. All right? Now, we were the first ones to make this observation. As weird as that sounds, until Practical Programming for Strength Training, the first edition, was published in 2006, that observation had never been made. What we were dealing with back in the early 2000s is that periodization is the standard by which all strength training programs must apply. And by periodization, what they meant was undulating Matveyev periodization where you hit a PR every three weeks or something like that. And when I tried to get a paper published with the NSCA and one of their shitty ass journals, they rejected. I've still got these emails. It's, it's funny to, to see them. I postulated that at first progress goes very quickly. And then as progress slows down, programming must get more complicated. But at first, programming is simple. Simple programming, rapid progress, slower progress as you accumulate strength, more complicated programming. And finally, very complicated programming with just a little bit of progress over time if you're lucky. Right? This was controversial. And I remember... Uh, one of the reviewers, uh, I turned in this paper. I think Lon and I wrote the paper, and I we turned it into the uh, probably Strength and Conditioning Journal. And one of the reviewers said, you don't seem to understand periodization. <laughs> that was his comment for rejecting the idea. You don't, you don't seem to understand the importance of periodization. And my response was, that's the point. You don't understand periodization. And, you know, it's just pointless to argue with them. See, these people are academics. They know things that a gym owner can't possibly understand, right? Just a common gym owner can't possibly understand the things that these brilliant PhDs in ex-phys no. So, you know, I messed with it a little bit and finally got it published as a little 400-word column in the thing back when I thought it was important to, to play that game over there. And then uh, I uh, published, we published Practical Programming. It's in its third edition now. Uh, and it sold more copies than any of their books ever has. We've made more people strong than anybody with a PhD in ex-phys has ever made strong. 
because they just don't understand what it is they're supposed to be doing. And God damned if they're going to learn it from me, huh? I don't care, though. I'm not here because of them. I'm here because of you guys. If you want to, if you want to get stronger, we offer the logic by which this can be accomplished. And uh, it's never been refuted. You know, you're calling me fat does not refute my argument. Has that occurred to you? Has it occurred to you that the fact that I'm pink or magenta doesn't refute my argument? I don't know. Maybe you think it has. Anyway, that's kind of a summary of the process by which we've gotten here. Uh, you know, this has prompted any questions that you might have. Uh, you're more than welcome to uh, submit those to us for a, a, a Q&A because we'll take We'll do write-in Q&As where you submit questions and we'll accumulate those and have a big stack of paper on the table here. You've seen the programs and, you know, we're doing live call-in Q&As now. And something I've said may make you ask some questions. And I'd be glad to answer the things uh, if you let us know. But anyway, I hope that kind of clears up some of the questions that you may have about the history of this program. And uh, did I leave anything out, guys? You think of anything? I think it was pretty good. Bree, you got any questions? She never has questions. Never has questions. She has questions in her brain. She just won't ask them. She just won't ask them. She'll ask after we get through. Yeah. Yep. I'll edit waiting. them back in. You're waiting, <laughs> waiting for the microphone to be turned off. Oh, I got a question. That's what she was. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Thanks for watching us today. We'll be with you next Friday for Starting Strength Radio. But wait, I have a question. <laughs>